right, all right. Come on, welcome all the campuses, campus locations, celebrate. Everybody at all the locations, glad you guys are here. If you're watching this on television or via the internet live streaming, you might not be aware of the fact that it is snowing here in the Carolinas on Sunday morning, which tells me that everybody up in the church today, they are northerners. Listen to the northerners, man. <laughs> That's awesome. And some of you Southerners, you're like, how do you know that? Because Southerners, listen, Southerners can't drive in this stuff. <laughs> Southerners freak out. Ah! They go to the grocery store. They buy all the milk, all the bread, all the eggs. And the Northerners are like, what is wrong with you people? Right? So we have a Northern service here today to the glory of God, which means we need to pray extra hard. <laughs> Welcome to all the campuses, Durham campus, Coffeehouse campus, Garner campus, Sanford campus, North Raleigh campus, Hillsboro campus. Already mentioned those of you who are streaming on the internet right now, Kenya campus, Columbia campus. We thank God for every single one of you. Amen. Hey, grab your Bibles. And, and by the way, this is a series to bring your old school Bibles to. I know some of you like your Fibles, your phone Bibles. I know, I know, and that's cool, but some of you don't like to bring an old school Bible because you never know, like if I say turn to Leviticus, you don't really know where Leviticus is, some of you don't, and it's like embarrassing, right? You're like, I don't want to be that person, well check it out, we're in Romans 8 for 8 weeks, <laughs> which means you can have it already marked, and when I say open up to Romans 8, you're like, I know my Bible. What about you? So go ahead, go ahead and bring it and let's study it. We're going to go get this. Take out your teaching notes. Uh, if you are on Facebook, which studies show us that's the overwhelming majority of you, open up your Facebook right now and check in to this campus location. That's a powerful witnessing tool for people. For God's sake, use Facebook for something redemptive. Amen. Twitter, Instagram, light it up. These are ways in which we connect with the 21st century, and we are excited. And the hashtag for this series is the Great Eight. The Great Eight. If you're new here and you're not aware of where we are, we are embarking upon eight weeks in what I believe is the greatest chapter, or at least one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. Even wordsmiths are at a loss for words when it comes to describing Romans 8. Not many adjectives can do justice to the mystery and the majesty of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 dwarfs all of the other Pauline writings in the New Testament. Listen to me. It's like an alpine peak towering over small hills and villages. Theologian and pastor John Piper put it like this. He said, it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. That's a strong statement. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said this. It's the clearest gospel of them all. William Tyndale, who was martyred for translating the Bible in English, put it like this. It is the most excellent part of the New Testament. This is a New Testament book of massive substance, presenting formidable 
intellectual challenges while offering breathtakingly theological and spiritual vision for the church. My favorite quote about Romans 8 comes from a man by the name of Douglas Moo. He was a seminary professor, and he said this, Romans 8 is the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. That is a great quote. Now, if you've got your old school Bible or you're teaching notes, take some notes. You want to write this down at the beginning of Romans 8. You can write in your Bible. Write it in the margins. Romans was written around the year 50 A.D., okay? 50 A.D. after the death of Christ, around 50. It was written from Corinth. Paul was preparing for his final voyage to Jerusalem. He is writing this magnificent book. It is his magnum opus, if you will, of the New Testament writings. Romans 8 is like an unbelievable film. It has action. It has adventure. It has a storyline. It has special effects. I would put it like this. It's Michelangelo's David. It is the Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. It is Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5. It's Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. That is what we're camping out on for eight weeks. It has, if you will, a big bang in the very beginning. It's what we're going to be talking about today. But let's read it out loud like it's the word of the Lord. Ready? Go. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Great job. You sound wonderful. Big bang of a beginning, if you will. It has a fairy tale finish. Come on. You read that so well. Let's read this. Ready? Go. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, great job, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a great place for an amen. And then right in the middle, right in the middle, it crosses over the Golden Gate Bridge, if you will, of the Bible. And we read this out loud. Go. And we know that in all things work together for to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Amen. That means that it doesn't matter what you have been through. It doesn't matter what hardships will come your way in the future. If you are in Christ, God can redeem those, work good in those situations, and bring beauty out of the ashes of your life. Amen, amen, and amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 8, and let's pray today. Father... As I often do, I, I pray you take our minds and you would think through them today. Would you take our hearts and fill with them? Lord Jesus, take my lips and speak through them. As I often pray, God, if you do not move today, then nothing of any significance will have been done. So here we are, your people. We are submitting to the authority of Scripture. So we humble ourselves under this un 
unbelievably beautiful passage of Scripture, this divine direction that you have given us. Speak to us, we pray. May the meditations of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds be pleasing and acceptable to you, we pray. Amen. Okay, so write this down. You're going to, if I were to take the entire message today and sum it up in one statement, here it is. Write this down. Pardon comes before the power. Say that with me. Pardon comes before the power. One more time. Pardon comes before the power. Now, again, if you're taking notes in your Bible and your margins, write this down. The book of Romans as a whole, now that's just for this chapter, but as a whole, the book of Romans is about God's righteousness. About God's what? You can even go back to Romans 1. We're not in Romans 1, but you can write this down, Romans 1.17. And the Bible talks about that this gospel is about revealing God's righteousness to God's people. This whole concept of pardon coming before power is totally counterintuitive to the way in which many of us have functioned before. This is diametrically opposed to all of the world religions out there. Therefore, it is diametrically opposed to some of the ways in which many of you were brought up. You cut your teeth on the pews of religion. Romans 8, 1. Therefore... There is, what's this word? Now. now. Say now. now. You know what now means? Now. now. There is therefore now no, what's that word? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible is saying that if you are in Christ, there is absolutely no condemnation for you. That means there is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no regret. If you are in Christ, no condemnation. Now, if you listen to that and you think a pardon comes before the power, you might say, you know what? Those sound like legal terms. And I would say to you, you are exactly right. They are legal terms of justice. We all know what justice means, right? Right? So if you, if you were to have someone do something wrong or sinful or evil to you or your spouse or your children... Or your people, come on, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you would want justice done? Every single one of us. Take heart, you're in good company. God feels exactly the same way. There is justice to be done for sin in the world. But if you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Many of you have heard me say this before. Um, many of you have heard me say this before. Religion is based upon what? What you do. How good can I be? How often can I go to church? How often can I go to Sunday school? If I go to Sunday school every Sunday out of the year, I will get a perfect attendance lapel pin. If I, give, if I give enough money, if I do this or if I do that. And many of you are here today and you've experienced Christianity, but there's no joy to it. There's no joy to it because you're kind of gritting your way through it. You're white knuckling it. And it's all about what I can do, how goody two-shoes I can be. That is not Christianity. That is religion. 
Amen. Here is what Christianity, Christianity is based upon what God has already, what God has already done. Romans 8, 1 is God's way of letting us know today that pardon comes before you get power. Pardon comes before you get the freedom that comes from the verdict. Listen. That has already been declared 2,000 years ago. When Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. And he declares there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you might have seen the film before. And you've watched this movie. It's called The Woman Who Can't Forget. Any of you see that? By Jill Price. Jill Price was a person who they realized from a very young age, she was very, very special. She was the first person to ever be diagnosed with a memory condition called hyperthymistic syndrome. Hyperthymistic syndrome. And Jill Price was one of these people, I'm sure you've seen shows or maybe you know any. I've never met a person like this. But there, she was a person who, if you asked her any date in her life, she was able to tell you exactly what went down on that day. Like, you could ask her, I saw an interview, you could ask her, hey, what was the date that Ronald Reagan was shot? She'd tell you. You could ask her, what did she wear on the day that she turned 11? And she could tell you. You could ask her, hey, what did y'all have for dinner on Christmas Eve when you were 16 years old? She could tell you. Church, I can't tell you what I ate for dinner yesterday. <laughs> Anybody with me? And I think it is safe to say that no one at any of our campuses can remember like Jill Price. But here's what I know about you, and I haven't been reading your email. Many of you, many of you just can't forget and can't let go of some of your greatest regrets in life. Come on. Many of you are here today, and you continue to feel the bondage. You continue to, to relive over and over and over certain sins of your past, certain regrets that you have gone through, certain shortcomings that have happened in your life. And I believe subconsciously or maybe even consciously, many, many people are held hostage to one or two or three of the worst things you've done in your life. Like, what are the worst two or three things you've done in your life? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> keep, that, keep that in your spirit. But many of you still live in bondage to regrets that you have had in your life. And the Bible wants to set you free today. The Bible wants to declare over you, there is therefore now no what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Some of you are going to be set free today, and you're going to leave here today, and you're going to realize for the first time, you can let the past stay. You're preaching my message for me. You let the past stay where? In the past. The year was 1850. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote his magnum opus, if you will, called The Scarlet Letter. We all know well what that story is about. 
And the unfortunate reality is that many people in the world today and many Christians in the world today still live into a scarlet letter reality, if you will. We label people and we label ourselves. And some of you are here today and you've never taken the scarlet letter off. You're living in a guilt-ridden, shameful regrettable existence of Christianity and God wants to take the letter off of you today. Some of you are here today and you're still wearing an A for adultery. Or you've got a big fat D that you can't get rid of for divorce. Or some of you are here today and maybe you have a tendency to put a G on your chest or someone else's chest and you label them gay. And what I want to let you know today is that God does not label people. He does not label you and he does not label people. And if God is going to throw a letter on anyone's chest, if, big word, if you are in Christ, he's going to put an F on your chest, beloved. And that F stands for forgiven. Come on. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ, if you have received him, there is no condemnation. So Romans 8, 1 and 2 speaks to us very clearly about our past sins, right? But in just a few verses, it also talks to us about our present sins. Write this down. Write this down. This is going to blow your mind, and this is completely counterintuitive as well. The only sin we can defeat is forgiven sin. And I just got to say, I love the engagement here and the way you folks are leaning in, taking notes, receiving the word of God. The only sin we can defeat is what? Now, that's completely counterintuitive to what we think. We think we have to defeat sin before we're forgiven. See, this is all about positioning yourself. This is all about rightfully understanding the gospel. We think that we've got to defeat sin, and only once we defeat it will we be forgiven. Remember, pardon comes before the power. It's counterintuitive. It smacks right in the face of religiosity. Many of you are here today, not gonna, again, not going to ask you to, to say these out loud, but what is the one or two or three sins that you continue to struggle with? Got them in your mind? I mean, some, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about something you've struggled with this week. You're sitting around people, and you might be this case, so take heart. You're amongst good company. You could be sitting with people here who've struggled with certain sins, not for a week or a year, but decades. What is that struggle that you have? There is a very good chance that you are trying to live into a works righteousness and you are, you are going to think, I'm never going to defeat that until I'm forgiven. I'm trying to show you that Romans 8 turns that on its head and you actually have to operate from the position that you are already forgiven. And once you live into that reality, we're going to talk about some laws of the Spirit in just a moment. Then you start to live into, watch this, that which God has already declared you to be. Let me give you a few 
big theological words. And if you know me well, you know I don't throw around these words too often. I don't believe in trying to impress people with the vocabulary. I just don't, I don't agree with that. But there are some really great big theological words. They're usually used in seminary context, but they're valuable. Write this down. Justification precedes and empowers sanctification. Put your thinking caps on. Think it through. Maybe it'll help you to say it with me. Ready? Go. Justification precedes and empowers sanctification. Some of you are like, okay, justification. Help me out with that a little bit. Okay, I'm going to give you a way that you'll never forget it. Okay? You'll never forget it. Look at the word. Justification. Justification means it is just as if I've never sinned. You'll never forget it now. Justification, in its truest meaning of the word, biblically and theologically, it means that it is just as if I've never sinned. I don't live into the regret anymore. I don't live into the shame anymore. I don't live into the guilt anymore. Therefore, there is now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ. So justification, just as if I've never sinned, precedes and empowers sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is nothing more than being transformed by the power of God in me so that my life starts to reflect more and more the life of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So justification, just as if I've never sinned, precedes and empowers the sanctification process that God wants me to embark upon all the days of my life. May I hear an amen? amen. Let me give it to you now. In a more simple way. I'm telling you, this is totally opposite of what many of you think. Being right with God, therefore, must proceed doing right for God. Oh, my. Say it out loud with me. Ready? Go. Being right with God must proceed doing right for God. And many of you were taught... You cut your teeth on the pews of good old-fashioned religion, and you have been convinced, and if you're not careful, it continues to come up over and over in your life. You have been convinced that in order for me to be right with God, I've got to do right first. That is works righteousness. I believe, many people believe, that if I just do enough good, right? Come on, come on. If I'm just goody two-shoes enough, if, if I just do everything mama told me to do, once I get good enough, then I'm going to be right with God. That, my friends, is religion. Christianity says no, no, no. No, if you are in Christ, the verdict has already been declared in you and over you. You are already right with God, not based upon anything you say, anything you do, but you are right with God based upon what he has done for you. Come on, on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is good, good news. And yet... Here's the reality of human nature. You can get this today. Come on, can you not? 
And you can walk out of here feeling the freedom that I'm talking about. Looking at your neighbor saying, there's now no condemnation. But if you're not careful, guess what will happen? Tomorrow, you'll start living under guilt and condemnation again. You know why? Because Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. And you'll wake up tomorrow, and if you're not careful, he will just keep putting guilt on you. He'll remind you of stuff, and you'll slip right back into religiosity and guilt and shame and regret. And what I want to let you know is you have to keep saying over and over and over, now no condemnation. Say it with me. Now no condemnation. One more time. Now no condemnation give you a little biblical illustration here if you were here last year you know we studied the bible from genesis to revelation 32 weeks we did a series called the story not a trick question not a trick question here's a question for you how long did it take god to take his people israel out of bondage and enter them into the promised land no 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 once once it was time how long did it take them one day one day when, when, they, when they left and they crossed over, it was one day. But how long? Now you're right. How long did they wander around, though, in wilderness? It wasn't, you go read your Bible, it wasn't until they got to a place called Gilgal, G-I-L-G-A-L, that they got to the place called Gilgal that the Bible says that they came to terms with the past, the regret of the slavery, the sins, the shortcomings, and the Bible says God swept all of that where it belonged, where in the past. Don't be like ancient Israel. Learn to confess over and over and over your new identity in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Look at verse 3 and 4. Here we go. Out loud. Ready? For what the law was powerless to do because it was, it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a underline that circle that highlight that i'm gonna come back to that to be a what i'm gonna gonna talk to you about something at the very end you'll never look at the death of jesus christ again the same way let's continue and so he condemned sin in the flesh In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Let's continue. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the... So once you establish Romans 8, 1, your identity, your positioning in Christ... That if you are in Christ, and I'm talking to the believers here. If you're not a believer, I'm going to talk to you in a little bit. But if you're a believer, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, and you are in Christ, once you start with that identity, that position of being in Christ, therefore no condemnation, the Bible says there are two laws at work within you. Two laws. Let's look at those. Here's the first one. The law of sin and death. Whether or not we like it, I wish it weren't the case, but it is just true. You can take it to the bank and watch the news any day and you'll see it to be true. We live in a broken world. Heck, don't, you don't have to watch the news. Watch your own life. Come on. Watch my life. 
We live in a broken world. And I am a broken man. And so are you, right? And once you start with that position and that, and that identity, you have this law of sin and death in you. Now, what the Bible is saying is you can yield to that law or you can yield to the second law. And the second law is this. It's the law of the Spirit. It's the law of the what? The law of the Spirit. Now, this is what the Bible says about the law of the Spirit. I know a lot of you, you're, all your heads are down and you're all taking notes. But once you lift up, you ready? Okay. Let's read it out loud. Ready to go. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you from the law of sin and death. Has set you what? So what the Bible is saying is, as you live out your life as a Christian, you establish that identity. You start with who you are, no condemnation. When you live out the rest of your life, there will be two laws at work in you. And some of you know this to be all too true. And others of you have just never had any words to put to it, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're living your life as a Christian, in almost all situations, especially tricky situations, you have this war going on inside of you. You have two laws that are waging war inside of you. One is the law of sin and what? Death. The question is whether I'm going to yield to that and sin. And by the way, sin ultimately brings what? There's consequences to sin. I'm either going to yield to that or this is what it means to be sanctified. This is what it means to mature in the faith. Or I'm going to actually learn to live and submit and yield to the law of the Spirit, which brings what? Life. I don't know when this happens most to you. I know when it happens most to me. It happens most to me when I am riding down the road, driving, and in front of me is a person, a knucklehead, who is going 20 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed zone. Am I, somebody help me out. Am I alone up here? I didn't think so. And when I'm riding down the road, and I live in Chapel Hill, and I think Chapel Hill people, man, I just think they love to do this just to irk people like me. They get in their little Priuses and they, <laughs> oh no, he didn't. Hey, if you got a Prius, God loves you and so do I. And there's nothing wrong with one. I might own one one day. Nothing wrong. But they, 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 they get in these little Priuses, and it's a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone, or maybe they're in an SUV. I don't know. And they're going 20 miles an hour. And I am faced right then and there with a war that is raging inside my spirit. I think things I shouldn't think. I sometimes see missiles come from heaven and just blow the car up. <laughs> I, 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 I think things I shouldn't think, and I sometimes pull up beside them, and I think about doing things I shouldn't do. <laughs> and you should be pleased to know that your pastor doesn't do them <laughs> most of the time. Ha, 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 ha. Like, I don't know what it is for you, right? But, but like, 
I am faced in that moment. Am I going to allow the law of sin and death to take precedence and priority in my spirit, therefore live in sin? Or am I going to let the law of the spirit yield to that which gives life? And part of maturing in the Christian faith is learning how to die to self, learning how to not yield to the law of sin and death, but learning how to yield to the spirit of what? Life. Exactly. This is not in your teaching notes, but I just feel led to say this. I've been following Christ now. I don't know. I haven't thought about the math lately, but it's somewhere around 28 years. <clears throat> I've had to learn this the hard way. This, this is golden. So some of you, this is going to be the best thing you heard today. I have learned in following Christ all these years that if I tend to function in a reactionary mode, I normally yield to the law of sin and death. But if I learn to take a time out, like, I mean, literally, I was in a meeting not long ago, meeting not long ago, and I was meeting with a knucklehead. And the knucklehead was getting on my last nerves. And it was driving me crazy. And, I, and, and they were saying things and they were being overly critical and blah, 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 blah. You know what I did? I said, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. And I went into the bathroom. Not to use the bathroom. I went into the bathroom to just take a time out. Something powerful happens when you take a time out, a counselor taught me this. Yes, I've been to counseling. <laughs> counselor taught me this. Take a time out to observe what is happening inside of you at that point in time. What's going on in my mind right now? What's going in my, on in my heart? What's going on with my blood pressure? Which spirit, which law am I about to yield to? The law of sin and death or the law of the spirit which gives life? I'm telling parents, 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 <laughs> we send our kids to timeout. Some of you need to take a timeout. <laughs> I didn't say that last service. Sorry. Some of you need to tell your kid to go to timeout and you go to timeout at the same time. <laughs> he says, tell me about it. Because if you're not careful, come on, this is what I'm talking about. If you're not careful, you will react. And when you react in an argument with your spouse, with your child, with a parent, with a colleague, I have found, just, just my experience, I have found, I typically don't yield to the law of the Spirit when I am reacting. I typically yield to the law of the Spirit when I slow down to discern the Spirit and what God is doing in me at that particular time couple more things, and we'll end with that sin offering that I was talking about. Some of you, as I've been talking today, you've been playing kind of a mental gymnastics in your, in your spirit, and you're confusing two words that are slightly similar, but not very similar. I'm talking about the difference between condemnation and conviction, okay? Condemnation and conviction. Stick with me here, because this is, this is so Romans 8.1. Condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. And what Romans 8.1 says to you is if you have 
legitimately confessed your sin. I mean, if you were genuinely contrite, you were broken over your sin. I don't mean phony sin. I don't mean trying to tap into any cheap grace. Bonhoeffer let us know there is no such thing as cheap grace. It costs him everything on the cross. Amen? But if you've genuinely confessed it, there is therefore now no condemnation. All you got to do is receive it. Experience it like, like a cold drink on a hot day. <sighs> Condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. There is therefore now no what? It's gone. That's condemnation. But I'm not talking about conviction. Others of you are here today and you're feeling legitimate conviction. You say, what's the difference? Conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin. Conviction is feeling guilty over what church? So if you're living in sin, and, and some of you, like right now, you're thinking, I'm busted, right? If you come here today and you've got sin in your life, and if I come here on Sundays, and I, which is why on Sunday mornings I'm back in my study and I'm, I'm confessing and I'm praying, trying to get cleansed by the blood of Jesus before I stand before you. If you're here today and you've got sin in your life, conviction is the Holy Spirit making you feel convicted, giving you a heavy heart for something that you have done. Conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin, which therefore says, if I want to have no condemnation, I have to be in the habitual, repetitive mode of confessing my sin to be forgiven of my sin, to therefore have no... You got it. You got it. No condemnation. What we're talking about here a lot is the order of salvation. We have to learn as Christians to be theologically astute. We have to learn how to understand the Bibles. Long is gone the day, though it never should have existed, where Christians can take their minds, check them at the door, and just be, you know, whatever. So we're talking about the proper order. And here it is in Romans 8. Okay, I'm going to give you this. And, and we'll probably keep coming back to this over the weeks. Romans 8, order of salvation. First, pardon. Everybody say pardon. I said that in the beginning, didn't I? Pardon comes before power. Pardon from sin. That means just as if you've never done it. Confession, pardon, justification. That's first. Secondly, power to overcome sin and death, and that is sanctification. So if you're here today and you're in Christ, I want you to leave today having absolutely no guilt, no shame, no regret, no condemnation. If you have confessed your sin, stop letting Satan rake it up, put it before you, and cause you to live in guilt and condemnation. You are free. You are free to be the best version of you. God can sanctify you into being. Can I get an amen?
But if you're here today and you do have sin in your life, confess it and walk in the freedom that is yours. I told you I'd come back to the sin offering. We're going to end with this. But if I had grabbed any of you on your way in, if you're a Christian, you've been in the church any amount of time, and I asked you to explain Christianity, almost all of you would have said in some way, shape, or form, Jesus died for my sin. Agreed? Jesus died for my sin. Absolutely true. But I want to teach you something that's going to show you that there was so much more going on in that moment. Remember 8-3? Out loud. Ready? Go. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a... To be a what? Write this down. Jesus didn't just die for our sin. Jesus died as our sin. What I mean by that, he was God's sinful offering for you, though he was without sin. He bore the weight. Remember in the beginning I talked about justice? There had to be a price paid. Sin still offends a holy God. God, despite what many people will try to teach you today, God does not wink at sin. There had to be a price that was paid. Jesus not only died for my sin, Jesus died as my sin. Every sin in the past, every sin in the present, every sin in the future of Benji Kelly was on the shoulders of Jesus. And not only was my sin there, your sin was there. The weight of the world, all the sins of the world, as hard as it is for our mind to comprehend, all of that sin was heaped on the back of Jesus Christ, which is why the cross was so painful. It was so agonizing for him. It's why he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. On the cross, why, God, have you forsaken me? What was the Father doing? All of the sin, all of your sins, heaped on the shoulders, the weight of it all, on Jesus. Died for you? Yes, I'm not negating that. But expand your mind a little bit. He was your sin offering. He took all of that for you. And whenever you fall short of the glory of God, as Romans says, we all do. You come before God. You plead the blood of Jesus. You receive the sin offering that God provided and God looks at you and he doesn't see your sin because there has to be justice. You've received Christ. You are in Christ. So when he looks at you broken in all of your sinfulness, if you are in Christ, he sees his son, Jesus. 
who took the hit for you, who went to the cross for you. And he looks at you, as shameful as you might be, and some of you just need to lift your heads. He looks at you and he says, There is therefore no condemnation. Why? Because you're in Christ. And he bled and died for you that you might be free from guilt and shame and regret and all of those things and walk in the freedom of what it means to be in Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, you're so good. You're just so good to us, God. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today, God. For the woman, for the man, for the student who is here, God. And the truth is, they live in condemnation. They live guilt-ridden. Father, would you cause them to internalize and digest the beauty of this gospel here in Romans 8, 1 through 4. God, would they leave here today free? God, if they have confessed their sins, and maybe you're here today and you need to confess your sin. There's unconfessed sin in your life, and you're not experiencing condemnation. But in this very moment, you're experiencing conviction. The Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. If that's you today, I want you to just take a moment in this place, in the quietness of this space, and just confess your sin. This is between you and God. You just say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I've sinned against thee. And I'm not the best confessor in the world. So I receive what you sent for me in the sin offering of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over my sins. I repent of my sins and I turn towards you. And I live therefore now with no condemnation. God, create in us hearts that do that on a regular basis. God, let us not harbor sin. Let us bring it to light. Let us confess it on a regular basis and let us live free in you. Thank you for the freedom that's going to fall over this place and these your people today as we leave here. But Father, in closing, I want to give the man, the woman, the student who is here, or the person who's sitting on a couch somewhere watching this in front of a computer screen or a television. I want to give anybody who is within the sound of my voice the opportunity to be in Christ. Father, there are people here every single weekend, and the truth is they're not, they're not saved. They're not in you. They, they can't experience this life free from condemnation because they've never actually taken the first step to receive you. I want to be very clear today. This is for those of you who don't know Christ. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to just shoot your hand up in the air. Shooting your hand up in the air doesn't save you. It just allows you to reach toward God, allows me to look at you, pray for you. But on the count of three, if you want to receive Christ and you want to 
be in Christ and you want to start this journey of no condemnation, just raise your hand. One, God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ as a sin offering for you. Two, Jesus Christ went to a cross where he spread his arms wide and he said, I love you this much. And he died there. He bore your sin debt. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And three, he declares that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Just raise your hand up high. Just lift it up high. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I see you, sir. I see you right here. Lift it up high. I see you way back there in the back. I see you over there. God bless you back there in the back. Pray, church. Just pray for those around you. We should all be praying. Keep them up high. I see you too right here. God bless you. I see you three back there in the back. Four over there. Wow. Balcony. I see you folks over here. God bless you. I see you over here. Raise them up high. Keep, I see you over here, sir. Ma'am, I see you. Come over. Keep them up high. Father God. They're lifting their hands not to a mere mortal, but they're raising their hands to you. And they're saying, I need this beautiful gospel. I need this grace upon grace, and I need to be free of condemnation. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Just pray that with me in your own spirit. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I want to be in Christ and Christ alone. When I fall short, and the Bible says I will, Lord, I want you to convict me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Create in me a pure heart, God, that I am a person who confesses on a regular basis my sin. And therefore, I live a life of unbridled joy. No condemnation, no shame, no guilt. I am yours. And you are mine. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And amen. Come on, church, let them know how you feel. Wow. Hey. Hey. A lot of you raised your hands. Listen. Listen. Welcome home. Welcome home. Look at me. Don't, don't be, don't, there's no sense in being shameful. In it. The eyes can lift up. You're in Christ. There is therefore now, when? Now, what? No condemnation. It, come on, it is done. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.